Blaze On Demand. This is Ben Weingarten of the Blaze Books, and today I'm joined by Kurt Schwichter, author of the new book, Conservative Insurgency, The Struggle to Take America Back, 2013 to 2041. Kurt is a trial lawyer, town hall columnist, contributor to a variety of publications, frequent radio guest, and also a U.S. veteran who served in Desert Storm in Kosovo. Am I missing anything there, Kurt? Oh, a few things, because I'm old. <laughs> I'm right, old. Well, well, we'll make you look younger, and I won't add to it. <laughs> Uh, so this book, Conservative Insurgency, um, I picked up and I couldn't put down uh, primarily because it's optimistic. You know, so much of what we deal with on a daily basis, I mean, you read the news and it's riots, it's people getting beheaded in the Middle East. Uh, you know, look at look at any single day, flip to Drudge Report, flip to theblaze.com, and, and things are horrible. And what your book kind of shows is that by virtue of gravity, ultimately – Progressivism has to die, and constitutional conservatives are going to be the ones that defeat it. So tell us a little bit about your book and how the inexorable march of progressivism is defeated. <laughs> well, look, the book does something that I think we've needed to do as conservatives for a long time. Uh, and what I do every day you know, when, I, when I'm in court as a trial lawyer for a jury uh, when I'm asking a jury to you know, either not give money to the other side or to give money to my client – uh, I I have to paint a picture of the result. I have to show what things will be like if you do what I'm telling you. And, and I think we don't do that as conservatives enough. So we have these liberals, and they have this idea that the world that we want with a conservative culture and a, a conservative political bent would be some sort of weird, grim, batan death march of creepy theocratic uh, totalitarianism, where you know John Lithgow from Footloose is the model, you know, banning dancing and banning kissing and banning beer and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the, 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 the idea that we'd have some sort of dark dystopian future under conservatism is so ridiculous, but it's, it's embraced by so many people. So I want to show something different. And, and I'm an Andrew Breitbart guy. Like, like you were, I was dragged into this through uh, uh, Andrew Breitbart, who understood how important culture was, but understood also how important it is to leverage pop culture. So I decided to go uh, instead of writing one of the you know very serious tome, you know, with me on the cover, scowling with my arms crossed. Uh, I wanted to write uh, a story essentially, and, and the way I do it is I pick a number of characters and. They're essentially interviewed. They tell their story of between, you know, how now and between about 2040, because I think this is going to take some time, uh, they acted to change our culture, to embrace the constitutional conservative values of the founding fathers. Um, so I also got to talk in a lot of different voices. And, you know, some of them are, most of them are regular people. Uh, this is not a story of some great you know, person who comes out and he's going to make everything better for us. Remember, it, it, a lot of people ask, is there another Ronald Reagan out there? And my view is that this uh, this is not something that we can uh, rely on. You, we, we can't rely on the cavalry to come over the hill and save us, even though I command a cavalry squadron. Uh, you know, Barack Obama was right about one thing. We are the ones we were waiting for. We are the ones who are going to take this country back. And, and when I mean take it back, I don't mean steal it from everyone who doesn't agree with us and leave them disenfranchised. That's the leftist model. I mean take us back 
to the values that the founding fathers, who did not always live up to them, obviously slavery comes immediately to mind. But to take back to those values, they're in those documents. Those documents are, Ben, those documents are written for every single human being. doesn't matter if you're white or black, green, yellow, handicapped, uh, an Olympic athlete, gay, straight, man, woman. None of that matters. It's well, universal. Every human being has dignity. Every human being has rights, which a government must recognize and work around. Yeah, and your book is really about a freedom movement is what it comes down to. And that's what's Absolutely. enshrined that's what's enshrined in those documents. So yes. you're talking about some average individuals, some extraordinary individuals basically serving their highest and best uses, consistent with, you know, the traditional values on which the country is based, but even some non traditional values. Yep. They are they are basically you know, they're really speaking truth to power to use the leftist kind of term. It is a decentralized freedom movement, and that ultimately is what wins. So it's a movement that's consistent with our principles and our ideology, and we even use it to turn, you know, to sort of use jujitsu against the left. I, I want you to talk a little bit about some of the tactics, um, be it lawfare or otherwise, turning the totalitarian weapons of the left against them that you highlight in this book, in this radical conservative insurgency? Well, Ben, uh, first of all, I, I know you're an economics major, so you understand that this, the, the, the movement that I'm talking about, and that I think is taking place, okay, I, I mean, this is taking place now, is largely entrepreneurial that, and decentralized. There's no no one has to community organize us. Many of us start our own businesses. Heck, I'm sitting in my uh, partner's office at the business I started. Um, we figure out what we can do. What skills do we have? What do we like to do? Whether it's, you know, you know I write for Town Hall or Truth Revolt or write a book. That, that, I think I'm okay at that, so that's what I do. I like doing it, and that's how I contribute. Other people do podcasts. Uh, some people would go out and start tea party rallies, for instance, uh, some people who, who who started out doing things have have worked their way up, found themselves on terrestrial radio. You look at a guy like Larry O'Connor in D.C. or Dana Lash uh, from The Blaze uh, yep. or Tony Katz in Indianapolis. These people were, quote-unquote, regular people, and I, I, I object to the term regular people. No American is a regular person. Every American is exceptional. I know. I've lived on three continents uh, and in many of the states. Uh, but... Americans don't need to be community organized. They find their they find what they're good at, even if that just means sending Facebook messages to their friends or talking to people in church. And that's what this this story that we're living we are living this story right now is all about. Right, and part of this story, and it's playing out every single day, every single election, all of these fights that we have on Twitter and Facebook everywhere else. Uh, it, it, it's not only just us versus the left, quote-unquote, and by us, I mean the constitutional conservatives, right. the libertarians that you describe in this book, but it's us against people who are on our own side, quote-unquote, and I use kind of air quotes on that, you know, that being the establishment Republicans. And one of the, the themes in your book that clearly shines through based upon your military experience is that you don't want to die on a hill. You know, we're not about... Exactly. You're, we're not about sticking with this cause uh, and dying with this cause, but dying with valor and glory. 
It's about picking our battles wisely and our targets wisely. And in the process of trying to figure out who the right targets are and, and what the right things are that we should be targeting, um, we're going to have some failures. And I think probably recent elections show you in 2010 we won, in 2012 we lost. We'll see what happens in 14. Talk a little bit about picking battles wisely. Well, you know, I, I am a military guy, and uh, there, there's, you know, conservative insurgency. I talk about insurgency theory in it, and uh, um, and, and that kind of structures my thinking, even though it, it not so much that it makes it, you know, seem like an Army field manual. Uh, but, no, you do have to pick your battles. There is no glory in losing. It kind of drives me crazy when you have stubborn people who want to, what we call in the military, reinforce failure. All right, say I'm trying to take a hill, right? And I I, attack, I have my unit attack up the hill, and my guy's not making any progress. I got really a couple choices. One choice is to do something different. The other choice is to send another company up to see if it can go through. And that's not always a bad choice, but a lot of time. But but you know, if they're really dug in, and you're not going to get any movement, you're just going to waste guys. Then it's a bad choice. Um, you know. Don't reinforce failure. If you're not winning, your immediate your immediate action should be to figure out, okay, what's going to get me to winning? Uh, for instance, shutting down the government last year, which I support initially. I thought it was a good idea, and then we started losing. We also concentrated our forces. That is, we came out in the open and allowed the establishment, which in politics, media, Hollywood, uh, academia, Suddenly, we're out in the open as constitutional conservatives. They can concentrate our, their fire on us, and they did, and we started losing. I just saw a, uh, a, a graph yesterday. It showed during that period, uh, Democrats were up by eight points in the favorability uh, for Congress. They're now about even with the Republicans, but there was a marked jump over that. Okay, We were losing that bout. doesn't mean it was the wrong fight. doesn't mean uh, it wasn't one that we needed to start. But we were losing it. And when you're losing, you stop losing. Okay, because losing doesn't – does not mean you're going to lose the war. Losing a ballot does not mean you're going to lose the war. 1775, 1776, 1777, the American Continental Army was, from a military perspective, getting its, ass, uh, getting its behind kicked. Uh, <laughs> trying to, I'm going to try and not work blue. Uh and in 1783, they left. The British packed up and left. In 1969, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong certainly were defeated on the battlefield. They were combat ineffective. In 1975, they took Saigon, which is now Hanoi City, or Ho Chi Minh City. Um, simply Pro progressives in America. <laughs> exactly. Progressives in America were... You come out as a communist for the radical overthrow of the country, that fails. Then you come out as beatniks and hippies in the 60s, that doesn't work. But today those people are in power. Uh, yeah, but I think their grip is tenuous uh, because, A, they're not as smart as they think they are. They are not. These are not savvy operators. I, I, I reject the Bond villain theory of our opponents that somewhere there's a volcano lair full of evil left-wing geniuses. Uh, yeah, plans. Okay, these people are stupid. Well, no, no, let me correct myself because that is a very important distinction. These people are sometimes very smart 
they are rarely, rarely wise. And I'm now old enough to know, you know, I, I like smart, but I treasure wisdom. Okay, if, mm-hmm. the, if you understand a distinction. Yep, yep, sure. And I, the, these are not wise people. You look at Obama, and the guy probably has a fairly high IQ. I, I, I don't think he is, you know, dumb by any – even though he makes bad choices, I don't think he's dumb by any stretch of the imagination. I think he is unbelievably unwise. Um, just unbelievably unwise. And that is the root of – that is a problem for the left. They aren't – they're not that good. Um, largely, they won because we seeded the field. How many conservatives do you know who want to go into academia? I'm not going to take the damn pay cut to walk around with some tacky off-the-rack jacket with leather patches. You know, I, I'm not I'm not going to do it, even though I, I have in the past taught college. Uh, I, I'm not going to do it, but, but some leftist will. I'm going to go out and make money. All right, I'm going to go out and build a company where people can, you know, have lives and and support their families and stuff. That's that's how we get off. So we've kind of seeded the world. That's why Andrew Breitbart was trying to get, as we talked about off air, uh, was trying to get guys to go into Hollywood. We we didn't think that was going to be a uh, successful route for us. We were going to go make our money in other ways. Uh, uh, now, thanks to technology, as I talk about in the book, I think it's a very very viable option for conservatives. Uh, I, I think one of the big themes in the book is how technology is really changing our ability to compete in these uh, liberal power centers. I think that's a huge, huge trend. And I don't think, and again, going back to the uh, the theory of no uh, no liberal evil geniuses, I don't think they understand how how dangerous to them uh, the our ability to communicate and our ability to uh, make. Uh, media uh, uh, undercuts them. I think they're fat and lazy, basically. I think they're, they're mentally fat and lazy. And we're lean, mean gorillas who, you know, survive with our AK-47 or our bowl of rice. Yeah, well, it's kind of like um, if you're the monopoly power and you've got no competition, you're you're going to get fat and lazy yep. and decadent. And so there's an advantage to being, you know, small and hungry and yep. and feisty. Exactly, exactly. Um, no. and, and, and remember, the, as you saw in the book, this is something we have to watch out for because when we become the establishment, human nature is going to kick in. And eventually, we are what, what we have now is going to be corrupted. We, we need to accept that and understand that and, and, and work to fight that to make sure that our values remain in place even when people who uh, uh, fail to meet the moral level that we we expect, uh, and they will, uh, uh, come along supposedly espousing those values. Sure. Now, there there are a lot of trends in the book that you speak to, cultural, political, social, on defense, all of these different areas where the trends, if you're looking at them today, you might, you might not be seeing the forest through the, through the trees, basically. You know, there are these... Battles that are being lost, but greater battles being won. Um, yeah. In in the book, one of those big battles that that's lost is that you have a two-term Hillary Clinton presidency. So they're <laughs> a great tactical defeat. Yeah. So so before we get to the light at the end of the tunnel, talk about some of the hypothetical disasters that happen during the Clinton presidency, and then how we end up 
turning those into positives for our side? Well, that's a good question. I tried. I, the first thing I tried to do is extrapolate the current trends out with reasonable uh, events that are reasonably likely. Uh, you know, I talk about Hillary Clinton getting elected in 2016, which I think is more likely than not right now. I don't think it's a done deal. But if I was a betting guy, you know, and okay, I, 50, 60, 70 percent, all right, I'll, I'll put some money down on that. Uh, I extrapolate that she wins re-election because an establishment Republican candidate, a, a rather large gentleman from New Jersey, in fact, comes in as the reasonable conservative, uh, thereby splitting the vote and ensuring she goes back in. Uh, I extrapolate that uh, she continues the liberal trend against civil rights. Remember, we're dealing with a political party that believes the First Amendment gives people too great uh, uh, leeway in the right to speak freely. They've actually proposed a constitutional amendment to limit the right of free speech, if you can imagine that. Um, Oh, I can imagine that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, you, every time you, you think they can't disappoint you anymore, you get them, you know, coming out literally for the government telling you what you can and can't say. Uh, these are the same guys who sent a solicitor general of the United States to the Supreme Court to say, why, yes, we can criminally prosecute. We believe we have the right to criminally prosecute someone for publishing a book. Right. Think, think, think about that. And that, that happened. They, they did that in the first Citizens United. Even the, even the liberal justices were so disgusted, they, they made them come back and re-argue them, uh, uh, the case. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I see Hillary Clinton using uh, uh, the power of government to crush their opponents. They will not win by convincing the mass of American people. The failures will just be too obvious, uh, the lies too blatant. Uh, they will... Uh, they will do what petty fascists do and try and use government to stop people. Uh, and I, I, I see there being resistance, particularly in the red states. Uh, and at one point in it, it actually escalates into a, a minor act, uh, act of, uh, a minor violent incident, uh, which thankfully scares the hell out of most Americans, and they calm down and kind of resolve to work out their differences through the Constitution the way it should be done. Uh, even though some of the norms uh, that we've uh, had in the past get thrown out the window, first by the liberals and then, then by our side, uh, because you can't, you know, for instance, take the filibuster. You can't kill the filibuster while while you need when when you don't want it, and then when the other guys come in, you know, expect them to allow you to have it when when you want it. You know, there's, there's, you're going to end up playing by the same rules you impose, uh, and I, I, I think this problem of them eliminating norms like, oh, I don't know, you don't turn the IRS on your political opponents, that's going to end badly for them because it's only human nature. These things have to be used against them. It's just going to happen, even if I didn't think it was a good idea, and I do. You, you have to punish your enemies to ensure if you're going to enforce norms. There has to be a devastating consequence for not doing so, and I I think uh, I think we're going to see that. And the book certainly talks about it. Yeah, and so those events serve to catalyze people who might have been on the sidelines or might have thought of themselves as quote unquote liberals. Uh, you also talk about the fact that the freedom side of the equation. I don't want to say the right because the right left is kind of like fascist and, and socialist and, uh, you know, it's like a European way of looking at the world. But the people on our side, 
uh, agree, like you talk about, on somewhere between 60 and 90% of issues, but then it's that gray area that causes us to be divided right now. So how do you see, and you talk about this in the book, but, but give us some insight into how you see the libertarians getting along with the social conservatives, getting along with the fiscal conservatives, and everyone sort of playing nicely. Well, I, I think things will get bad enough where people will start seeing the advantage of uh, uh, 70, 80, 90% allies. Uh, pot is a great example. I don't like dope. Well, 27 years in the military, having to go in a little jar and getting it tested, throwing people out for having it, I find it gross. I find it disgusting. It's so alien to me. Yet for some people, it's extre- an extremely important manifestation of their liberty. If I need to allow some uh, guy to listen to his Bob Marley while smoking on his bong in his own house, I can live with that if that guy's going to stand beside me uh, when they come and tell me I can't say what I uh, think about a politician. Uh, what what fight do you want to have? You know, and there is there is some difference between social conservatives and libertarians. By the way, I'm not I, I'm more of a libertarian Republican, I guess, conservative, uh, but I am not against social conservatives. I think they first of all they are essential. They have a right to be heard, and they have a valuable message. Um, even if I don't agree with them on every point, they have a valuable message. I think society is going to change to the point on certain issues, especially uh, gay marriage, for instance. Society is just going to – I think that fight's lost. If you're interested in fighting that – keep fighting that fight, you need to understand that it is a losing battle. That battle has been lost. And I'm talking as a military guy. You, You assess without emotion. This is this battle is not being won. Where are my resources better used? Uh, and I think down the especially among young people, that battle's just. I mean, the, the cow is out the out the barn on that one. Uh, and and my in my book, it is resolved. It becomes a non-issue over time as more and more Americans uh, agree with it. They also uh, in the book, abortion remains a, a controversial issue, uh, and it gets put back to the states in a way that's not entirely satisfactory to everybody, but satisfactory satisfactory enough that it's not uh, it's not a premier issue with the vast majority of people. And, and I kind of like that aspect of the book, that you have trends that go in the right direction, but we don't exactly get something that's going to make every side happy because that's real life. And that makes the book more intelligible, more intuitive. It, it, it makes sense and it rings more true. I mean, immigration is another issue, obviously. Uh, Im- immigration, in the book, immigration is, uh, continues to be a problem. Uh, the the right feels uh, uh, sold out by what's essentially an amnesty, which when the right comes back into power, they then withdraw the amnesty, which causes a whole other range of problems. I am not an amnesty guy. On the other hand, if we grant a bunch of people amnesty, they start doing the things that we say they need to do, and then we come back into power and cut that out from under them, that's a, that, that is a real problem that we have to face, even if we didn't like it in the first place. Uh, one of the things I tried to do in the book is it's not a uh, – well, you know, the ending's generally happy. I tried not to make it say it's not a wish list. You know, it's not everything's going to be perfect because we're the greatest people the world has ever seen. We're human beings. We make mistakes. 
when you, we close out the book, it's a society that largely believes in conservative values, uh, personal freedom, personal property, the right to uh, generally live in, in, in the manner you wish uh, without answering to government. Government is much smaller. Uh, they passed a constitutional amendment that tells people you are responsible for supporting yourself and your family primarily. Boom. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of social programs go away, and it has a positive effect uh, overall. Uh, but there are, but to get there, you know, the conservatives have not fully restored the norms that until about five, six, seven, eight years ago we had. You know, the filibuster and all that. Uh, they do run roughshod over the liberals. Uh, the liberals are extremely bitter and unhappy. In fact, one, a couple of them uh, try an inept assassination attempt on the president. Um, so there's a lot of there's still some anger out there, even though liberalism and is, is very much a minority view. Uh, you know, and the and conservatives have to face. You know, are we going to move back towards all of the values that we want, or are we going to do the things that are going to keep us in power? And these are important questions. Yeah, and uh, I'll learn, I'll just a little bit how we get to the 32nd Amendment of basically self-sufficiency, individual responsibility. How, how does the welfare state basically go away? Why do people decide that they don't want the benefits that they're getting? How does that happen? Um, two ways. is In the book, and I, I think the current trends are this way, I think you see, I think people are starting to see the failure of government as, you know, a sort of uh, uh, father of a spoiled child. Uh, I think a lot of people uh, resent the free ride mentality that many people have. I think we're seeing the tremendous damage that the welfare state does, uh, not only economically, but morally and socially. Uh, there are critiques out there of what it's done to minority families and and, and even you know in white families uh, that are that are shocking. I mean, when it becomes an economically smart play, and you're you're an econo economist, when it becomes an economically smart play to ditch the man, the man of the family is going to get ditched in a lot more cases than would otherwise. Uh, we need to do things that promote families because families are the basic building block not government and frankly there are a lot of people who are working hard who are sick of giving free money to losers and and a lot of free money goes to losers mm -hmm. i think that should be uh that should be a campaign campaign platform no free uh, money to losers yeah no free money to losers I think well i i you know you know today it's funny because it's kind of harsh but I think down the road, eventually, you know, people are going to start saying, wait a minute. Okay, you sit on your couch, gobbling Doritos, you watch Judge Judy, I'm working two jobs, and you're getting about 75% of the money I'm getting, and it comes out of my check. Here, I have a counteroffer. How about you get nothing, and if you're hungry, that motivates you to go, you know, and operate a mop and bucket at a McDonald's, you know. When somebody starts whining about these Mick jobs, all I my first question is, do you think you're better than me? They kind of look at me funny. I'm like, do you think you're better than me? Uh, well, why do you say that? Because how do you think I started? Do you think Kurt Schlichter became a partner in his law firm uh, uh, because you know Daddy Warbuck Schlichter, you know, decreed it? No, I started off as a private in the army. Okay. 
and then work my way up to being a full colonel. I started myself off at Carl's Jr. in Foster City for three ten an hour, and then I worked at McDonald's after I got fired at Denny's for gross incompetence, uh, which is also an important learning experience. Uh, you know, I operated that mop and bucket. So when you say, when you start talking bad about somebody who's working an entry level job, what you're saying is you're saying you're better than me because you don't have to do that. And I got a newsflash. If you're taking money from Uncle Sam, you're not better than anybody. You're a loser. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. If you're taking a check from Uncle Sam and not for working, and you weren't blown up by an IED in Iraq, you're a loser. Mm-hmm. That's a message that I'm, I'm sure will resonate with our readers and I'll probably try, <laughs> try the other side and say um, I want to talk just just a couple more questions because you've been very generous with your time. Um, to talk about uh, a couple of your favorite characters in the book because probably by, by looking at this book through the eyes of a couple of your characters, readers will get a sense as to why it's such an entertaining but also enlightening and enjoyable read. Well, there's a lot of different characters, and I, I tried to give them each their own unique personality. And, of course, I used to be a stand-up comic. I'm kind of a twisted guy. Uh, one of my favorites is a gentleman, a well, gentle being named Flamenco, who's a performance artist in New York, who gets sick of this progressive nagging, telling him, her, whatever his gender is, because he changes it uh, occasionally as the, as the whim hits him. He wants to live his way. It's not hurting anybody. It's not taking money from anybody. He's doing the thing. People are responding to it, and he just wants to be left alone. And 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 this this person is absolutely shocked that he 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 has more in common with the constitutional conservatives than anyone else, because they're not telling him what to do. Uh, he he finds this out when he's at college and wants to do a, a performance art piece that involves him smoking, and they call the cops on him because he has a cigarette. And he's like, I'm an artist. We don't care. You can't smoke. <laughs> what? What? Um, there's a uh, Supreme Court justice. It allows me to talk about some of the uh, legal issues of lawfare, how to use uh, law to vindicate your rights. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you con- you conservatives, you hate the courts. You don't think anybody should bring lawsuits. And, uh, you know, I fight lawsuits for a living. A lot of them are frivolous, and we desperately need tort reform. But that's a different issue. The highest and best use of our courts, what they were intended to do, is vindicate the rights of American citizens against the government, to limit the government's overreach, to uh, and in criminal cases, to force the government before it can take your liberty, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt using substantial admissible evidence uh, before a, a jury of American citizens that it is, it is uh, clear beyond a reasonable doubt that so-and-so can commit a crime. Um, so I really, I really like that justice who gets interviewed drinking beers in Georgetown. Um, I also, uh, I, I, I particularly enjoyed some of the leftists that I talk about, including a leftist professor uh, of, uh, I think it's gender identity studies or the like, uh, who just doesn't understand what's happened to the universities as technology and uh, uh, poor administration and high prices have made him uh, uh, even more irrelevant than he ever was. And through a, a, a series of uh, bizarre incidents, his, uh, uh, his YouTube meltdown becomes a uh, dance club hit in Dubrovnik. So I'll just, I'll just let your folks kind of think about that, and maybe, maybe they'll pick up the book to figure out 
how this all happens. But uh, I, I had a lot of fun with that. And but but I think it rings true. Yeah, in academia, you talk about Instapundit and Glenn, Glenn Reynolds, and, and we oh, uh, we covered his his most recent book, talking about the the education bubble, and uh, it really uh, there, will be a, it'll be a day of reckoning for them. It's going to. There's there. Glenn Reynolds, I think, is one of the uh, uh, one of the top thinkers, uh, cultural commentators right now. Uh, there there are a few people out there. You know, Glenn not only creates his own ideas, but he on Instapun and he he collects other people's too. And it, it, it's it's interesting, stimulate. It's not always what you expect. Uh, uh, other big thinkers, I think uh, uh, Camille Paglia, who mm-hmm. I don't agree with uh, about a lot of things. But you know, you read her stuff, and you're thinking, "Wow, that's you know, that's thought provoking." We have some real good thinkers out there who who bring up thing, who bring up ideas that uh, you know we haven't heard before, but make a lot of sense. And of course, the liberals all think we're dumb. You know, we're we're, we're strumming on the banjo, ambushing canoers. Uh, you know, it's I, I I particularly like when I'm told how dumb I am by some guy who's like a sophomore in college. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you don't even well, have one third of the degrees I have, and you're telling me because you have half of a degree, you're ba- you're not even using a metric that matters. <laughs> and well, it, well, to the extent you are, you're using it wrong. Yeah, well, I'm, the more I think there's a there's clearly some there has to be some research on this, but the more degrees that you have, probably the dumber you get. Also, I think uh, you know. Thankfully, my last degree was the uh, Master's Strategic Studies at the Army War College, where in fact I wrote my own thesis. I want that out there. It was more than 14 pages. Um, I, I, I think because because of the nature of that, I don't think it made me dumber. I think law school probably did. <laughs> It, it, it did tear out my heart. Yeah, well, so yeah, that, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I don't have what you humans call emotions. Well, but that's advantageous when you're when you're looking at the culture wars of the next thirty years. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I think there's a lot of skills out there in the conservative world where it's you know you're, you can be a lawyer, a writer, or a business person. I think we have a tremendous skill set that really. Is gonna is gonna pay off for us. I mean, look, overnight the whole Tea Party thing exploded. There was no, you know, you didn't have people out there, community organizing it. People did it themselves. There's tremendous power in the American people, and liberals fear it. They fear yeah. it. They fear the, the Tea Party thing. Then it terrified them. It terrified them because we didn't need them. Yep. Well, and, you know, you wrote an article recently that I would suggest that everyone take a look at. Uh, conservatism is the new punk rock. And I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that Adam Bellow article um, that was put out in National Review where he goes in great depth and talks about the culture war and how it needs to be fought and how we're starting to develop the vehicles. I call the yep. blaze the big vehicle in that yep. that will ultimately help propel us. Um, t- tell well, us- Adam Bellow, by the way, uh, did some early work on the book. Some of the best parts, some of the best themes and ideas, and the way they're executed uh, are, are, are derivative from the great work uh, that Adam Bellow put on uh, early in the process on this. So I want to make sure everybody knows this is a he, he is a real thinker, and uh, he, he helped make my book much better. And, and that that landscape of the culture war that he talks about. You're now a part of it with this book and with the columns that you write. Assess for our audience where we are 
this war of ideas? Uh, yeah, I'm an infantry guy, so I'll make it simple. I think we're winning. I think we're winning for two reasons. Uh, first of all, I think we're presenting better than we ever have. It's not perfect. It's not great. But the other side's getting worse. I mean, you listen to the critiques of what we're, what we're doing. Our, our critiques are thoughtful, generally thoughtful and deep, if you, if you exclude my Twitter commentary, which is neither. It's just, just mean, uh, but, which, which has purpose. But you look at the, uh, you th- look at the liberal critiques. And they make a, a huge mistake. Sun Tzu taught, uh, taught any military thinker, you, you have to understand your enemy. Then they don't understand us. They do not understand what we are about. Uh, they do not understand what we think. Uh, I went on a, uh, a, a liberal black station in, in, in Chicago. I mean, this was militant black station. That's how they presented themselves. I mean, that's, that's, that's their presentation of it. And they had me on because I wrote this book, and they kept me over for extra, like, 40 minutes because they had never talked to anybody like me before. They, they, they had never heard our message. They had only heard uh, hearsay, as we say in court. They had heard somebody else characterizing it, and it was completely different. Uh, and, and that was a great discussion. I think Rand Paul's big contribution is going out to communities that haven't heard from us before and at least talking to them. And it's going to go in fits and starts. It's going to be difficult. We must continue this uh, because they don't understand us, and we have to go around the gatekeepers and make sure that the other side understands us. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, and, and I think results matter. I think years of play, you know, you can only – you can try to blame Bush, Hitler, Halliburton for everything that happened uh, uh, since 2009, but you know, that, you know, every time you do, uh, a few more people go. Well, you know, you've had five years to do something about it. What you're essentially telling me is Bush was terrible. You're incapable of doing anything about it. That's not a vote for you. Okay, that doesn't make you <laughs> a better choice. It's it's not a great argument, um, and I think I think uh, Obama's uh, poll results, uh, his his approval ratings, which are in the low 40s, and I think will go a little further before they stop. It kind of he, he, I think he has a natural floor in the 30s. Um, I just think uh, I, I just think you know facts on the ground. People are sick of being sick and tired. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, on that happy it. note, <laughs> yeah. on that happy note, the name of the book is Conservative Insurgency, and the author is Kurt Schwitzer. Kurt, thanks so much for speaking with us. Hey, Ben, thanks for having me. For more on this and other books, you can visit The Blaze Books at www.theblaze.com slash books, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theblazebooks, and Twitter at theblazebooks. You can follow me on Twitter at bhweingarten.